Remembering is such an important thing. Remembering our own history and our past, remembering who we were and where we've been, uh, remembering who God is and what God has done for us. Uh, nations have long recognized the power of such remembrance. That's why we have monuments and memorials and museums. Uh, that's why uh, we have all these signs and symbols around us to remind us of our own past and our history and to see how it speaks to the present. In our text this morning, we see the establishment of a monument for that very purpose, to remember. Uh, to remember the Lord and what he has done and to remember that as God's people, we need God to act for us that we're desperately in need of God's help, that we need someone to intercede for us, that we will fail unless the Lord is for us, and that even when we fail, the Lord restores. And we're continuing our sermon series through the book of 1 Samuel. Go ahead and turn in your own Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, if you would. You will be helped today by reading along in your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 2 through 17 today. 1 Samuel is about 20% of the way through your Bible. If you have a Bible like one of our church Bibles, you'll find this passage on page 230, page 230. 1 Samuel is the ninth book of the Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you have Joshua and Judges and Ruth, and then finally 1 Samuel. If you get to 2 Samuel or 1 and 2 Kings, or if you get to something like Psalms, you've gone too far. Uh, as we begin, I'm just going to read the central verse of our text for now, and then we'll pray together. First uh, Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to look just very briefly here at verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. Till now the Lord has helped us. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we praise you. Uh, we praise you because till now you have helped us. Uh, till now you have been with us. Till now you have provided for us. And Lord, we know that we can trust you and we can rest in you. Uh, Father, we praise you for your glorious power and splendor. There's none like you in all the earth. You're worthy of our praise. Uh, Father, as we come to your word this morning, give us understanding. Uh, enlighten our hearts and minds that we might live in a way that honors and please you. Uh, Father, for those who are uh, participating in the sermon this morning who do not know you, uh, we ask that you would open their hearts even now to the gospel. Help them to see the depth of their own sin and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to save the true King, your anointed one. Father, we pray this morning for our nation, for our state and our city. We ask that you would give wisdom to our leaders. Our Lord, help us to make wise decisions in our own lives and actions. Help us to be careful, but also to demonstrate love for you and love for our neighbor during this time. Help us to show uh, the love and kindness of Christ to those around us. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, enrich our hearts with it this morning. Help us to see your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 
Well, as a reminder, within Israel's history, we're in the time of the judges. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. However, we've been introduced to a new leader, Samuel. His predecessor, Eli, and his sons were evil, but we have hope that Samuel will lead the people in a new direction. Uh, Most recently in Israel's history, because of their sin, they fought against the Philistines. They lost that battle and lost the Ark of the Lord. Uh, The Lord brought trouble on the Philistines while they had the Ark, so they returned the Ark to Israel. But then Israel continued in sin, and they were judged, and that's how last week's text ended. This morning, we see restoration. The overarching theme of our text this morning, the Lord restores through his anointed one. The Lord restores through his anointed one. We'll see three key actions in our text this morning. Repentance, restoration, and renewal. Uh, Repentance, Samuel leads the people to repent. Second, renewal, Samuel leads a renewal of prayer and sacrifice. And third, restoration. Samuel's leadership brings restoration for the nation. So the Lord restores through his anointed one. Uh, Let's look at our first main point, repentance. Uh, Repentance. Samuel leads the people to repent. Verse 2. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines." First, we see that Samuel calls the people to repent. Verse 2 indicates that some 20 years pass and then the ark returns to Israel. Uh, It isn't clear uh, entirely if that means uh, 20 years and then verse 2 begins, but that seems to be what it's saying. So a long time has passed in half a verse. Samuel is older. A new generation has grown up. But the first thing we see in our text is the leadership of Samuel. Samuel calls the people to repentance. Uh, To repent is to turn away from something. Uh, Repenting of sin is turning away from your sin. And the Israelites' sin has long been the sin of idolatry. And the way they will demonstrate repentance is by turning away from those idols. Uh, Here we see they... The specific idols are the Baals and the Ashtaroth. These are the gods of the region. But now Samuel is calling them to repent of idolatry. And the way they will demonstrate repentance is by turning away from those idols. Put away the idols. Destroy them. Do not bow down before them anymore. Do not worship them anymore. We will look at their response in just a minute. But first, I want us to recognize what is happening. God has chosen Samuel to act as his anointed one. 
To be sure, we do not see a formal anointing ceremony for Samuel anywhere, but the book of 1 Samuel has highlighted from the beginning that Samuel was created uniquely by the Lord. He was a gift, an answer to Hannah's prayer, and Hannah promised that Samuel would be given to God. Then he was raised in the tabernacle at Shiloh. He was called by God as a prophet. Samuel is the Lord's anointed. And now Samuel is stepping into formal leadership of the nation. As the Lord's anointed, he is calling the people back to faithfulness. He is calling them to repent of their idolatry and to return to the Lord. And that's what the Lord's anointed is supposed to do. The Lord's anointed is to lead the people in faithfulness to God and to his covenant. What we will see through the rest of 1 Samuel and what you see in the other historical narratives and the prophetic books of the Old Testament is this. As goes the leader, so goes the nation. Uh, We have seen the leadership of Eli in his son's evil leadership. And because of their evil leadership, the nation has continued in evil and has paid the price. Uh, We've seen God's punishment for sin. We've also seen how God bore the punishment for sin in himself. But now the Lord is raising up a new leader, a faithful leader. This leader will not be like Eli and his sons. Samuel will be a faithful leader. Two notable aspects of Samuel's call to the people. One, he calls for total repentance, total transformation. If you're coming back, if you're really returning to the Lord with all your heart, if that's really true, then do it all the way. Turn from your false gods. Direct your heart to the Lord. Serve the Lord only, and no other, and then the Lord will deliver you. Samuel is acting as the Lord's anointed, calling for total repentance. That's the first notable aspect of his call for repentance. The second notable aspect of this call for repentance is that Samuel falls in a line of faithful leaders who have made this exact same call to the people of God. Uh, In Genesis 35, Jacob said to his household gods and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Then again, in Joshua 24, Joshua calls the people to turn away from false gods to serve the living God. Uh, He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, Later kings of Israel are very mixed on whether they are faithful or not, but more than once we see the faithful kings put away false gods and pagan practices that their predecessors followed. 
Uh, we see the prophets calling for repentance. Ezekiel 14. Uh, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. As it goes with the anointed one, so it goes with the nation. Uh, Samuel is one of many of the Lord's anointed who is leading the nation to repentance of idolatry and repenting of worshiping false gods. Then we get to the New Testament and we see John the Baptist calling for repentance. And then we see Jesus calling for repentance. God's people must be people of repentance, examining their hearts, seeing the ways that we are serving idols and repenting of the sin that we find. So we see Samuel as the Lord's anointed calling the people to repent. And then the next thing we see in our text is the people repent. The people do, in fact, repent. Verse 4, so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. The people really do repent. They put away their false gods. They stop worshiping the Baals. They stop worshiping the Ashtaroth, and they serve the Lord only. You know, it's not easy for us to turn from our false gods. We love them. We count on them. We trust in them. And they work for us, or at least we think they do. For Israel, in their recent history, the Lord has not seemed to be working for them. Now, we know, and they should know, that the reason the Lord has been against them is because of their sin. But nevertheless, it is a hard decision to make. We never really want to turn from our false gods. But they do. They really do repent. So what God has done is raise up a faithful leader, his anointed one, to lead his people in righteousness. The Lord uses Samuel to call the people to repentance. And through the call of Samuel, the people do, in fact, repent. They fully turn from these other gods to serve the Lord God, to serve the living God. You know, one reason we don't put away our false gods is because we don't realize that we're bowing down to them in the first place. We've convinced ourselves that they're not idols at all. Money isn't an idol. It's just something I desperately need more of. Respect isn't an idol. I just get really angry if people refuse to respect me. Success is not an idol. I just sacrifice everything for it. Our problem is not that we care about things. Our problem is that we care about things out of proportion. We begin to trust in the things that we care about. We begin to believe that we deserve them, and we begin to believe that we have a right to them. And then when they get undermined or taken away, our idolatry is suddenly brought to light. Most people are spending more time at home these days At least most of us are supposed to be spending more time at home these days. I hope you are. Uh, For many of us, that means more free time as all of our commutes have entirely come to a stop. Our casual driving has come to a stop. So we have more free time. And this would be a good time to examine your own heart. Where are the places you're trusting in things rather than 
God? What are the things that you put your hope in? Are there ways that you commit too much of your life to something that keeps you from doing what God calls you to do? And if there are attitudes and actions that are keeping you from honoring God, repent of those things even now. In our text, we see repentance. Samuel, the Lord's anointed, leads the people to repent. Second main point, renewal. Renewal. Uh, Samuel leads a renewal of prayer and sacrifice. Look in your Bibles at verse 5. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. First, a renewal of prayer. A renewal of prayer. After the people have repented and put away their idols, Samuel calls the nation together to pray. Gather the whole nation and I will pray for you. Again, we see Samuel acting in a, in a unique role as God's anointed one. Uh, all the people were able to pray. Anyone who trusted in God and his promises could pray to him. Uh, we've already seen in 1 Samuel in chapter 2, Hannah's deep prayer to the Lord. Anyone could go to God in prayer. And on the other hand, Samuel doesn't need the people uh, present to be able to pray for them in the nation. He could pray for, for them from his own home, uh, with them in their own homes, and God would hear him and know who he's talking about. And yet there is something about God's anointed one gathering the people together as their representative to pray for them. That one person represents, in a sense, the nation before God and to God. And then that person speaks to the people on behalf of God. And here we see Samuel, the Lord's anointed, gathering the people together so that he can pray for them. And we know that the Lord hears prayer. The Lord hears the prayer of the righteous. I think it's obvious when we say that Samuel is praying for the people who are gathered, that they're praying along with him. They aren't just listening mindlessly. Or at least they're trying not to, right? We can all get a little mentally distracted during corporate prayer sometimes. But, but they're praying along with him. Uh, a couple of interesting things about their prayer in this particular case. First, the prayer was joined with fasting. Uh, they set aside food, possibly drink, to focus their time of prayer. And the other aspect of their prayer that is mentioned is the confession of sin. Uh, they confess their sin to God. They acknowledge that they have sinned against God and they desire to change. A further demonstration of true repentance. Look at verse 7 in your Bibles. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. This Israelite gathering draws the attention of the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines are the dominant uh, people compared to Israel at this time. Uh, they don't like the idea of Israel gathering 
uh, all together, and they're gathering pretty near their border with the Philistines. Uh, so the Philistines gather their army to uh, attack Israel. And the Israelites are afraid, which is, in fact, pretty reasonable because uh, they probably have not increased their military power at all during this time. If anything, they're probably weaker compared to the Philistines than they were 20 years ago when they lost in battle. Well, back in the battle in chapter 4, the Israelites were confident once the ark came into the camp. Now they have no confidence. Then they assumed God would fight for them. Now they recognize they must humbly ask God to fight for them. They have no hope unless the Lord helps them. Militarily speaking, they cannot win. Uh, The people, desperate, ask Samuel to pray for them. And they're not asking Samuel to pray because they cannot pray or because they do not trust in God. They're asking Samuel to pray because they do trust in God. They're asking Samuel to pray because he is the Lord's anointed. And so Samuel does pray. Uh, Ralph Davis writes, Sometimes the Father may box us in, place us in a situation in which, one by one, all our secondary helps and supports are taken from us. In order that, defenseless, we may lean on his mercy alone. More and more, God's people must walk the way of desperation. Prayer. Once we see this, we will no longer regard prayer as a pious cop-out, but as our only rational activity. Israel returns to prayer because that is their only hope. That's our key here, this renewal of prayer. The Lord's anointed leads the people in a renewal of prayer. For us today, this text should remind us of the importance of prayer. We serve the Lord God who created the universe. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He can do whatever he desires. He is sovereign. He rules over all things. And he is good. He acts for what is best in every situation. And he hears our prayers. God has told us that we can pray to him, and he hears our prayers. Even as Samuel gathered the people and prayed for them, and the Lord heard. Samuel leads to a renewal of prayer. There's a second kind of renewal, renewal of faithful worship and sacrifice. Renewal of faithful worship and sacrifice. Look at verse 9. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. Lord answered him. Here we see the renewal of faithful worship and sacrifice. If you have been with us in 1 Samuel, you know that the sons of Eli were sacrificing in unlawful and sinful ways. Uh, They were taking what belonged to the Lord. Uh, They were taking the fat for themselves. Uh, They were forcing the people to allow them to take things the wrong way, and they would basically shove them out of the way if if they didn't allow them to do it. Um, They were sleeping with the women who served at the temple. Eli's sons led the people in false worship, and Eli did nothing to stop them. 
Eli allowed them to continue in their sin and to continue leading. But now a new leader has come into the picture who will lead the people in righteousness. He is renewing faithful worship and sacrifice. Uh, Israel has gone a long time without faithful worship and sacrifice, and now it is being renewed by God's anointed one. Samuel sacrifices a young lamb. Uh, In line with Samuel's renewal of faithful sacrifice, it would have been a pure and spotless lamb. You know, it's so jarring for us today to think about animal sacrifice. And really, our contemporary depictions of sacrifice are so sanitized, so G-rated that they miss the point entirely. Uh, If you see an artwork of animal sacrifice today, at least in Christian circles, uh, you usually have this beautiful, happy lamb. That's the pre-sacrificed lamb. The post-sacrificed lamb is not a happy lamb. You have this perfect animal and you slice its neck and you drain the blood. Then they cut the animal open and remove all the guts. There's blood all over the place. If you've ever hunted or fished or or seen an animal butchered, you, you know what I'm talking about. It is a bloody, messy process. Blood everywhere. Why would God call for his people to sacrifice animals like this? Why the blood and death? The sacrifices are pictures for us of the terrible nature of sin. The sacrifices show us visibly that sin and death are intertwined. The sacrifices remind us how seriously God takes sin. Sin is so evil that it can only be covered by blood. When the people of Israel saw that animal killed and saw the blood scattered, it was a visible picture of the depravity of sin. Something had to die so that sin could be atoned for. You don't have to understand why that is the case to understand what that says about sin. Sin must be terrible if that is the price paid for it. The the people who offered sacrifice took the best animal they had, the most flawless animal, the lamb without blemish, and they offered that to God as a sacrifice. And the priest slit its throat and gathered the blood and scattered it over the altar and offered the animal up as a sacrifice. Sin is an offense to God. Sin is defiance against God. We're supposed to bear God's image, to reveal God's glory to the world. And when we sin, we show the world an image that is an ugly counterfeit. We say that God's character is insufficient. We say that God's standard is imperfect. We say that God's rule is incomplete. And instead of showing the perfect image of God, we show a defiled counterfeit. We commit cosmic treason against God by proclaiming that my way is good and your way is not. That I am in charge and God is not. That I get to make the rules and God does not. Sin is cosmic treason. Sin is far more wicked than we want to admit. This is what the sacrifice represents and reminds us of. Sacrifice 
must take place because of the terrible depravity of sin. Samuel leads the people to a renewal of faithful sacrifice. Samuel leads the people to recognize their sin and their need for atonement. Notice the end of verse 9. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. The Lord heard his prayer and answered it. The Lord has been disciplining his people, but now they have repented. Now they have trusted in God. Now they have prayed and sacrificed, worshiping God. And now the Lord will answer. We have seen repentance as the people put away their idolatry and worship of false gods. We've seen the renewal of prayer and faithful worship. Third main point, restoration. Restoration. Samuel's leadership brings restoration. First, restoration of victory in battle. Restoration of victory in battle. It is not the restoration of military might because Israel doesn't actually help much. It isn't the restoration of military tactics because Israel doesn't plan very much. But it is the restoration of military victory. But that victory comes in a way that can only be ascribed to the Lord. Look in your Bible at verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before the Lord. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far below as as far as below Bethkar. So the Lord resounded, thundered resoundingly against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. Uh, this is a fulfillment of Hannah's prayer back in chapter two, uh, verse ten. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord thundered from heaven. He's broken his adversaries into pieces. At this point, we have a thousand questions about what is happening in physical terms. Uh, did God send a thunderstorm at this moment? There's this exceptionally loud thunderstorm. Or did God just create thunder without any kind of lightning? Uh, was it the loudness of the thunder that caused confusion like a sonic weapon that can stun people? Or did God just make them confused? These are the sort of questions I start thinking about. But the reality is we don't know. The text doesn't attempt to answer these questions. What the text does say is that the Lord thundered with a mighty sound and the Lord threw the Philistines into confusion. The Lord did these things. And whether God providentially used some kinds of natural means or whether God used some uniquely supernatural means is not particularly relevant. Suppose that God did send a massive thunderstorm at this exact moment, and the thunder came down all at once right as the Philistines were preparing for battle. That demonstrates the power of the Lord. And on the other hand, if, if the Philistines are preparing for battle with clear skies, and all of a sudden this thunder comes down from heaven apart from any natural explanation, that would likewise demonstrate the power of the Lord. 
Similarly, whether the Philistines were thrown into confusion because of the natural effects of extremely loud noise or because God supernaturally made them confused, what is clear is that God is the one causing the confusion. Either way, God is the one who acts. God is the one who gets the glory. The people of Israel get no glory in this battle. They carried no responsibility for it. Uh, God won the battle and sent the Philistines running in a panic. The people of Israel, Israel simply went in and cleaned up the mess. The Lord restored victory in battle through his chosen instrument, his anointed one. Second kind of restoration, restoration of the promised land. Uh, we've seen the restoration of victory in battle. Uh, connected to that, we see a restoration of the land. Verse 12 in your Bible. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered the, their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. We'll come back to verse 12 in a minute, but beginning in verse 13, the land that the Philistines had taken from the Israelites is being restored. Israel had lost the land because of their unfaithfulness, uh, due to the work of the Lord's anointed, they have repented and the Lord is restoring the land. The Lord is the one who's bringing all this about. He is the one who provided this anointed one who's leading the people to repent. The Lord is the one who gives restoration. The Lord causes the Philistines to no longer enter the land of Israel. The Lord is against the Philistines. The Lord is the one who restores the land to Israel. And we see during the whole of Samuel's ministry, there's restoration of the land. Uh, we also see peace with the Amorites. Uh, the Amorites were this other nation around Israel. Uh, sometimes the Lord used them as a thorn in their side. But during Samuel's lifetime, the Lord keeps them at bay. So we have restoration of military victory, restoration of the promised land. Last restoration, the restoration of a faithful judge. Restoration of a faithful judge. Uh, read the book of Judges. Israel has suffered under many judges. And the judges often led the people in sin. And by leading the people in sin, they ensured the Lord's judgment. But just as God demonstrated his grace and mercy, even in judgment, so he demonstrates grace and mercy now by sending a faithful judge. This is what God's people need. A faithful judge. A faithful prophet, a faithful mediator, a faithful priest. Samuel is the Lord's anointed judge who brings restoration. Look at verse 15. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzvah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. The Lord has raised up a faithful judge. The Lord has done what his people could not do. 
The Lord has restored a faithful judge to Israel. Uh, verse 15 through 17 represent the majority of Samuel's life. There's really not a lot of detail here. Uh, but this short summary represents the faithfulness of the Lord's anointed. Samuel judged Israel faithfully for the rest of his life. Well, I want us to close today by going back to verse 12. Uh, verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. Samuel creates a monument for the Lord. He sets up a stone, probably a very large stone, and he names it Ebenezer, which means stone of help or stone of blessing. Samuel raises up the stone as a remembrance of the work of the Lord. Till now, the Lord has helped us. Till now, the Lord has been with us. Till now, the Lord has protected and provided and preserved. Till now, the Lord has restored. Every time we see this stone, we remember that the Lord has helped us. And he will help us. If you ever wondered why we have a song about Ebenezer or with the word Ebenezer in it, this is it, this stone of blessing. Till now, the Lord has helped us. I mentioned earlier, this verse is really the central verse of our text. This verse highlights who is helping and how. This verse highlights that the Lord is the one who is acting, and he is acting through his anointed one. There's a temptation to look at today's text and to think only of how Samuel brought restoration to the people. I see how he led the people back to God. Uh, this verse highlights for us that the Lord is the one who is acting and that he is acting through his anointed one. The Lord has anointed Samuel as judge. As the faithful judge, Samuel works to point the people to the Lord. Samuel helps the people to remember the work of the Lord. The Lord who is the one, is the one who is bringing this about. The Lord brings repentance through his anointed one. The Lord brings restoration through his anointed one. The Lord brings renewal through his anointed one. I was talking with a church member this week, and he was commenting on how he loves how our sermons always show how the text points to Jesus and the gospel. We believe all of scripture points to Jesus after his resurrection, Jesus met two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Scripture is designed to point us to Jesus. So we should be looking in scripture for how it points to Jesus. Sometimes it's more obvious than others how the text leads us to Jesus. Sometimes there's a direct line uh, other times, it's more about how the narrative ties in to the grand theme of redemption. Well, in our text, when we see how the Lord's anointed leads God's people to repentance, and the Lord's anointed leads to renewal, and the Lord's anointed leads to restoration, I'm not really sure how we could get from there to Jesus. But maybe, maybe 
Jesus is the one who fulfills all these things. Samuel was a type of the one who was to come. Samuel is a small picture of how the Lord's anointed brings repentance, restoration, and renewal through his anointed one. But the difference between Samuel and Jesus is that Samuel is just a human instrument, and Jesus is God in human flesh. We'll find as we study 1 Samuel that Samuel did in fact fail, that Samuel did in fact sin. Jesus never failed. Jesus never sinned. And as God's anointed one, Jesus not only offered up the sacrifice, Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus died in the place of sinners. Jesus paid the terrible price for sin. Jesus brought true and final atonement. So that in Jesus, all who come to him in faith might find repentance and renewal and restoration. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The Lord restores through his anointed one. Let's pray together. God, our father, it is such a joy to look at your word together. Um, we praise you for all that you revealed in the life of Samuel during this time, uh, throughout how through your anointed one, you brought repentance and how through your anointed one, you brought renewal and how through your anointed one, you brought restoration. And Father, we praise you for how you reveal in all the pages of scripture, the ways that you're pointing forward to Jesus, that he is the one who brings true repentance and renewal and restoration. And Father, we look to Jesus as our only hope, uh, the only one who brings us true repentance, the only one we might have faith in. And through that repentant faith, how you bring renewal and restoration to us. Uh, Father, we, we are living through hard times. Help us to show your love to the world around us. Uh, give us hearts of compassion and kindness. Help us to share your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.